Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Amira, Dr. Amira Rose Davis. Hi. You're hearing this. It's releasing on Tuesday, January 11th. We'll be returning to our regular episode that, as you know them, uh, next week. But for now, we wanted to take this opportunity, this space in the calendar, to talk to you about a project that Amira and I have been working on for the last eight months uh, eight months <laughs> so if you are not familiar blue wire uh the podcast network that burned all down is on they have a series called american prodigy the first season was about freddie adu the soccer player the second season was king griffey jr i feel like i don't need to tell people who <laughs> the that baseball is you, player the baseball player uh and the host of the third season of American Prodigy, which we'll tell you a little bit about that title in a second, is our own Dr. Amira Rose Davis. And I'm helping to produce on the back end. And just right at the top, I want to give a shout out to Kelly Jones and Jessica Bodiford, our two audio producers that we're working with. Woo! The show will release sometime in February. We'll let you know as soon as we lock down that date. Amira, please tell us, what is the third season of American Prodigy going to be about? Yes. Well, from the get-go, I will tell you that it's not American Prodigy, but rather it's American Prodigies. And that's because we are spending the entire season looking at Black girls in gymnastics. So we will be talking through many stories, some trailblazers, some superstars, some folks you don't know, some little girls, everybody in between. Um, but we're going to talk about gymnastics and we're going to talk about what it means to be a black girl in the sport. Can you tell me, I want to get into specifics in a second uh, to tell you guys like a little bit more about what like the real things are going to hear here. But like you pitched this, this was your idea. Why did you want to do this topic on this series? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'm going to I'm going to bring you into it and give you credit where it should absolutely go and not let you write yourself out of this narrative too, because it really was this kind of group thing. So way back, almost, actually a year ago, yes, we talked about doing American Prodigy centered on Gabby Douglas. And we had like a lot of ideas there and a lot of themes that we were interested in. Um, symbol, injury, um, success, scrutiny, media scrutiny, all of these things. Disposability. Disposability. And, and anybody who knows my work knows that I, I really do a lot with Black girls in sport around symbol, uh, around visibility, and around disposability. So things that really drew me to Gabby's story. And in the process of doing that, Jessica Luther was like, is like every gymnast a prodigy though? Because Every story we were getting of folks were occurring when they were eight, when they were nine, when they were 11, when they were 16. And so really kind of sitting with Jess's amazing point there about what it meant to be a prodigy and what it meant to be in gymnastics. Um, and as we thought about that framework and we continued to think about Gabby's story, we started interviewing um, other Black girls in gymnastics, kind of fill it out. And everybody's story was at once so compelling and they also all overlapped and intersected and reverberated, sometimes because they were competing with each other. Sometimes it was they were coming up right after or they were pulling the next person up. 
Um, but people who didn't even know each other, right? So we're talking people who were elite gymnasts and people who, you know, stopped competing at level eight, all had very, very similar stories about what it meant to be the only black girl in a gym or what it meant to love a sport and then really grow disillusioned with it because of the racial politics and the other kind of things that go along with gymnastics. And I think one of the conclusions we started to really see is that gymnastics in general is exacting, whether it's about um, mental, emotional, physical anguish. There's a lot. And and we know, and we've covered on this show, some of the structural institutional issues with gymnastics in the United States, but also just on an individual level, there was a lot there. Um, and then when you took that and you layered onto it, the microaggressions, just regular ass aggressions about being <laughs> the only Black girl in these spaces and about all of these kind of racial politics, it just felt like there was an opportunity to really give space for these voices that we oftentimes don't hear unless we're kind of celebrating it in a one-dimensional way. Um, and I think that that was really the guiding light here is just the premise of the questions we've heard about and scrutinized gymnastics through Netflix or, you know, well, Netflix movies to an extent from documentaries, even Lifetime movies, things like Pretty Little Boxes, things like that. Like we've done that work. Um, and we've never done it centered on a black girl in the sport. And I just started by asking, does it look different? What does it look like? What's mm. there? And um, then we got to work. And no one that listens to Bernal Down will be surprised by this, but Amira is an amazing interviewer. And so we just had a slew of like amazing interviews. But one of the things that's been really amazing for me through this whole process is I came into it and I knew Gabby. I'd watched Gabby Douglas. Obviously, Simone Biles is going to be part of this. You can't tell this story without her. Uh, and then for me, 96 was such a touchstone and Dominique Dawes. But like I figured out that like I don't really know much about any of these people. And I certainly did not know the history of black girls in gymnastics. Like I would like to walk our listeners through just the basic framework. So we'll have our intro episode. Um, starring an Olympian, Miss Jordan Childs. <laughs> but then tell us about the next six episodes will each feature a different, we'll focus on perhaps is the best way to say it, a different Black gymnast. Absolutely. So yeah, structurally each week will be focused on another uh, Black gymnast. We move semi-chronologically and we also moving thematically. And so you'll have one person kind of being lead, if you will, of that story that week, but other voices are going to be layered into that. And so obviously I'm a historian, so it's really important to start with some of those historical roots of Black girls in the sport. Um, and to do so, we we had to dig into the life of Diane Durham, who was a trailblazer and who, of course, recently passed around this time last year. Um, we worked with her family. Uh, our producer, Kelly, went to the memorial. And we also talked to Black girls who were in the sport in the 80s and in the early 90s that competed alongside and just after Diane as well. Um, and so that first episode will be her story. Um, will be a story that features people like Joyce Wilborn and Angie Dinkins, who, by the way, is probably my favorite person. I'm like, if you listen to this season for no other reason, listen for you Angie. just have to hear Angie. Like, it's oh, it's just Angie is amazing. Her energy comes through full force, absolutely in the audio. And then, of course, Wendy Hilliard, who was a 
rhythmic gymnast, but was a contemporary of of the folks on the artistic side and now runs the Willoughby Hilliard Gymnastics Foundation in New York and is really influential in the gymnastics scene. And putting all of their stories together gives us the lay of the land um, right at a really critical time in gymnastics. Um, and it's really compelling to dig into their stories and to talk to them now, those who I was able to talk to are still alive, Joyce and Wendy and, and Angie, because they're all living with the scars of gymnastics in a myriad of ways. And so that's where we start. And we we start with with those early barrier breakers. Um, we go back to the 80s and and we have some fun, some fun in the 80s and honoring the life of, of Diane Durham. Yeah. And then we jump to the early 90s. And this is one of our great interviews. Yes, we with talked the with the one and only Betty Okino, <laughs> who, by the way, is my birthday twin. <laughs> Literally, like I told, I forget who was producing that call, but I was like, I have a secret question. And no producer ever wants to hear that you have a secret question <laughs> that they can't know and you're going to start the interview with it. But I really just wanted to ask Betty if she was born on June 4th. Um, so me and of course, Tressa, our wonderful producer for Burn All Down and Betty Okino all share a birthday of June 4th. Birthday triplets. It's, we're triplets. We, um, <laughs> me and Betty had the best time. We both have a kind of very similar energy and we talked about some hard shit, but we did so <laughs> through a lot of laughter as well. Um, and I mean, obviously, Betty is just amazing. Um, and talking about her journey through gymnastics, um, the work she does now, her time away from the sport, why the hell she was like, fuck gymnastics. Yeah, she she just like stopped. She and stopped. Like she said, what, she didn't see Gabby? No, she didn't yeah. see uh, Dominique. Dominique, okay. Yeah, she was like, I wasn't watching. I'm not, I'm done. That's wild. I mean, she she went to the Olympics in 92, Caroli student, the whole, the whole deal. She did everything. And I think my favorite thing about Betty was really documenting her own personal journey and her own relationship with the sport because it has changed even as recently as the past few years. That's a that's a theme in the show. It's absolutely a theme. <laughs> um, I think that you should know Betty, um, her mom is Romanian. And so she came into gymnastics with a very interesting relationship to ideas about power and authority and um, training. And yet she wasn't seen as this like, epitome of Nadia Comaneci because she was black and so navigating that while she was like literally actually Romanian was was very interesting and reverberates to today in terms of her relationship with the sport and so I had the best time talking to Betty and um you know those early 90s bring in some of those other voices we've already introduced and and also talks about really the rise of the people in power that we've come to know as people in power, the Carolis, of course, um, the rise of USAG and the control of the sport. We also examine through Betty's story to get the institutional structure that's going to guide us in to the 21st century in, in the sport. Right. And which is a total, like a perfect setup for episode four, which is Dominique Dawes, 96, the moment that USA Gymnastics hits its stride. Burst in a way onto that the scene. Yeah, where you can't, it's like the difference between, you know, night and day here with the win in Atlanta. And so we'll be talking about Dominique. And Dominique is so interesting because she is like the go-to person. When we ask people their early memories, when we ask gymnasts and lay people, Dominique, Dominique, Dominique. And it's all centered on 96. Dominique mm -hmm. competed in 92. And she competed in 2000. That was new information for me. So if that, if you're listening and you're like, what? I... 
have felt that multiple times. <laughs> and so what's so interesting about getting to explore Dominique's career is really about this, like, how has she become such a symbol of Black girls in the sport? And so many people named her, but, like, I was really curious if, like, people... Do they know her? What was the next sentence about her, right? Yeah, yeah. And so part of that is this quest, is this journey to know and find out more beyond this, like, figurehead, right, of Black girls in the sport and to think about 92 and to think about why 96 and to think about 2000 and to think about her own separation from the sport and the gym she runs now and... You know, I think that it's a very particular kind of exploration. There's, um, you know, a lot of great voices included in that episode that raise a lot of questions. Um, just, it's kind of like my, like, where's Dominique? Who's Dominique mm-hmm. beyond yeah. the Dominique Dawes? And so that's what we'll, we'll be doing there. And I just appreciate this episode in particular because it really has pushed me to think about that. Like, Dominique is my person when I think back. I mean, 96 was so formative for me as, like, a 15-year-old. Uh, and... I don't have a second. I didn't. I now would have a second sentence. But uh, when we started this, I wouldn't have had one, which is kind of wild. Like that really made me step back and and reassess. Episode five, then, of course, is the great Gabby Douglas. And this was such a treat to me because obviously when me and Jess started having these conversations about this, it started with Gabby. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, Gabby, Gabrielle was my version of Dominique. I was just slightly too young in, in 96 to really have Dominique resonate, but Gabby really did. And the thing about Gabby, of course, is her ascension and how she was disposed of, the scrutiny that came with the spotlight and the that feeling that she kind of had clawed her way to the top of the sport and nobody wanted her there, right? Like she was this outsider and she'd taken Jordan Weaver's spot and she didn't deserve. And I think part of it is that it resonated so much with me personally, just being a black woman and with a lot of black women I knew, I knew as well. And so part of the joy of that episode is just calling on uh, other black women who are specialists, friends of the show, Sam Shepard, Courtney Cox, um, and other specialists, other voices, uh, people like E.B. Price, who was an alternate in 2012 with Gabby, and just to reflect on media, on that scrutiny, on what it means to be an outsider, what it means to leave your family, what it means to have narratives about your family just going and going and going around you, um, and to have your kind of utility feel very conditional when you're kind of pushed to the side four years later. Um, and there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, we we do a lot with that episode. Gabby's so interesting because, I mean, Simone has a level of fame that I think just, you know, it's, it's so strat- up in the stratosphere. But I don't, I feel like Gabby is the Black gymnast that we talk the most about. Yeah. Right, like she becomes know. a conduit, right, for yes. these conversations so about much. hair or dancing, or- and I'm gonna take Amira's line, like she is the Venus Williams to Simone Serena, like she really created the space that allowed Simone to to not not that she hasn't faced scrutiny for being a black woman, black girl in the sport, certainly, but Gabby certainly. Soften the edges. Yeah. Well, and she became a foil, right? Is that Simone also, she deflected a lot of critique on Simone because she could 
Simone could be positioned as yes. a foil for her in ways similar to Serena mm-hmm. and Venus, which of course then you see kind of collapsing this past Olympics. But the other thing you saw is people actually revisiting Gabby in this conversation about mm-hmm. mental health. So it was a it was really a lot to dive into that episode, but it to me is like really the heart of what compelled me in the series in the first place. And we get into a lot of that there. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode six, though, I think is one where people, they might have an idea of these two gymnasts. This is one where we fit, we focus on uh, two gymnasts uh, because you probably watched their viral floor routine when they were a UCLA gymnast, but it is such a fun and hard <laughs> and yeah, and a hard episode, but like, it's just, I love it so much. So will you tell us about these two gymnasts yeah. that you talked to for episode six? So one of the things coming off of Gabby's episode is that there's a lot of people competing right around the time of her and, and a few years later, black girls in the sport who were just at that elite level, but didn't go to the Olympics, usually because of an injury. And what they did is they found themselves in college. And while they were in college, they reinvented, right, music, floor routines, We know because we started seeing these routines go viral Um, and then they would show up on Ellen and all of a sudden it's just been, you know, a thing. And so I went to talk to two of them, Sofina De Jesus, who really kind of kicked off this this moment. And then, of course, Nia Dennis, who just finished out at UCLA, whose most recent routine uh, was like an ode to Black Lives Matter and, and was just beautiful. So I talked to both of them about their journey from elite gymnastics, about injury, about college, about UCLA in particular, and what it meant to be in that space, um, how they found themselves and their voices, um, how they overcame and continue to heal and overcome some mental health concerns, physical concerns as well. And then um, the real treat is that I talked to both of their moms as well, who had very different approaches to keeping their daughter safe in the sport. Um, And part of what was so important and also deeply frustrating was seeing at the length that both parents went through, um, Dietra Dennis and and Maria de Jesus, to protect their girls in a sport Um, and the strategies they employed. And some of it was being very strong and, and, 
you know, shielding and, and uh, being the one to get in somebody's face. And sometimes it was like, I'll play by the rules. I'll be as perfect as I can be. And what you end up with is this tale of two gymnasts and their mothers talking about what was required of them to try to succeed in a sport that very often did not love them back. Um, and the way they found their own joy and made their own joy and displayed their own joy in those viral routines that we think we know. But trust me, when you hear them break it down, watching those routines back with them, I learn something new each time. Like little things that I, I will never not see right now. Um, so that to me is like one of the anchors and heartbeats of the show is um, understanding not just what it required for these gymnasts, but for their families, um, what it meant to be in, in that space, not just as somebody tumbling on the floor, but as a black woman, as a mom, you know, squeezed in that little observation space in those musty gyms, um, as, as their child, you know, tried to do the impossible and, and make a way in a sport that was really, um, inhospitable to them. And so that's, that's episode six. That's the, that's the college episode. And, and I think it also means that every time you see a new viral routine, you'll think about it a little bit differently too. Yeah. And I absolutely love the parts where Amira watches the routines with each of the gymnasts and they, and they both react to them. I think that is just lovely audio. Uh, episode seven is of course, Simone Biles. Uh, it's about her ascendancy, but it's also about the unraveling of USAG, sort of these two things happening at the same time. So it's going to be a bit of a heavy episode. You might hear my voice pop up on that one <laughs> uh, because that's where we will really be talking about abuse in the sport, even though we talk about it throughout. Like it's not like it's just contained there. But the one thing that I really love about that episode is I talked to Jordan Childs for a while. And Jordan, of course, has her own, you know, part of this show when she really kicks it off. But she's also in Simone's episode a lot because the love and joy in which she talks about her best friend is infectious. And one of the things that was such a joy to do was to tell Simone's story and to think about Simone alongside somebody like Jordan, who knows and loves and cares about her so deeply. Um, it felt grounded, you know, in a way that we were able to still with Gabby talk about symbol and, and Simone has really like Serena, right. Mm -hmm. Um, become larger than life, but having Jordan to sit with and talk to and, and, you know, unpack some things with also allowed us to ground the story in a way that I really appreciate. So, um, you know, in a moment where it feels like Simone is everywhere, it's like, well, how do you mm -hmm. do an episode about somebody who's like omnipresent? Mm -hmm. um, but I think we 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 go to new places, and I I had a joy, absolute joy, kind of um, figuring out how we could be holistic and and um, really honor Simone, not just as epitome of black girl magic or a mental health advocate or as a survivor, but as a human and a, and a fully realized one in all of those components as well. And the final episode will be the future. Uh, we're still nailing all of that down, but we've done some really fun things with this show. Like we mentioned that Kelly went to Diane Durham's memorial and got amazing audio there, but uh, Kelly and Jessica both went to Grambling. The HBCU in Louisiana where Brown Girls Do Gymnastics was having a meet. And this meet is Brown Girls from across the country, also Black 
women who coach, who are judges, who are trainers, all of it, right? It's really a space who that make leotards, like just Wakanda leotards. Yeah, just ever, all of it. You know, we have wonderful interviews from Grambling with young black girls. My in the favorite sport. interviews, these like seven year old girls talking about about what the sport should be for them. You know, yes, and oh, it's it's, it's gorgeous. Audio. Um, we also, all of us went to the Gold Over America tour. Yeah, we did. And that was such a treat. And it was so fun to go after talking to Nia and Jordan and to Val, who choreographed it, of course, because we got like all these like little previews. I mean, Nia and Jordan were like, you're going to cry. I was like, I'm not going to cry. And of course, we like, cried through the whole thing. Through the whole thing. <laughs> we were not cool about it at we all. We were not prepared. <laughs> so that was you know, really, really fun. Um, the future is also a place where we are able to, like, so all throughout these series, we're telling you about these lead voices. But when I tell you, we've talked to so many people. We've talked to Black women who were in the sport for their whole life and then did it in college and then also left. We've talked to people who um, came back as judges and are now trying to change the game in terms of how judges um, deal with their implicit bias. Like, you know, you have to judge how toes are pointed differently because people don't realize like black people have two tones in their feet. And that has been something proven to deduct points, little things like that, that we lay people don't even think about. And you have black women out here doing the work to try to transform judging, transform coaching, a lot of people opening up their own gyms and foundations to try to create the place that they didn't have. We went <laughs> to Simone's gym, right? Uh, where she's doing a lot of that work too, down in Houston. Um, we've talked to, you know, young girls and their moms and, and that next generation about what they hope for in the sport, you know, really trying to capture what it means to come into something at five, at six, um, and retire from it in your early twenties. And, and going back to Jess Luther's like fabulous question is like, is everybody a prodigy? Because at the, you know, core of this, we're dealing with people in such formative years. And one of the things I, I joked with and talked to um, many people about is is about hair, of course. And so that every Black girl has an awkward hair phrase. It just happens that, like, your awkward hair phrase is happening when you're at the Olympics. Like, you know, not a great match. Um, but that is throughout the series, but really kind of all crystallizes in, in the final episode to also give us a glimpse of where we could be going if we continue to do this work and the importance of centering these voices and putting them together. Gymnastics is a sport that's really, really isolating. Uh, you're training, you're, you're in competition with some of your closest friends, the only other people who know what you're going through. There can also be like really cutthroat competition. Finding partnership and camaraderie and sisterhood like throughout that is is really something to behold. And one of the things that we've uncovered is there's people that we've talked to who are competing simultaneously who didn't even realize that they were having similar experiences. Right. And my biggest wish is that we get a bunch of folks together who participated in this um, because I think there's something spectacular about connecting these stories and breaking down some of these barriers um, to each other as they've broken down barriers in the sport. And so... That's what you can expect on this season of American <laughs> Prodigies. It's been a pleasure uh, to work on it, of course, with Jess Luther. I I can't imagine. I literally could not have done 
it without you. Um, and Kelly and Jess Bodiford have been tremendous. And of course, when we all were in Houston for the Gold Over America tour, I dragged everybody to escape room for team <laughs> building and we escaped in record time. So, you know, we work well together. So, um, yeah, it's been a real treat. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait to give it to the world. Yeah, me too. I'm, it's very exciting to just be here talking to you about it so that other, like that people are going to listen to us talking about it. Forget like they'll actually get to listen to it soon. Yeah, it's so, kind of nerve-wracking. I'm kind of scared. It is, I know. Uh, again, it should come out sometime in February. As soon as the date is locked down, we'll let all of our flamethrowers know. Um, but we are just super looking forward to sharing this with everyone. And I just, I you should go right now to whatever you listen, wherever you listen to podcasts, find American Prodigy, subscribe so that you don't miss anything. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. The episode was produced by Tresha Versteg. Shelby Weldon does our website, episode transcripts, and social media. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn, all the places. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. And from there, you can email us directly or go shopping at our bonfire store and get some Burn It All Down merch. As always, an evergreen thank you to our patrons for your support. It means the world. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. On behalf of Amira and myself, burn on and not out.